Welcome to the LBC podcast where we explore Christian theology and practice for the building up of God's family. My name is Josh White. I'm the director of adult ministries here at LBC. And today our topic is the topic of cultural discernment. And what we mean by that is the need for believers to think biblically about cultural issues. Uh, So often the culture tries to shape how people think and act, and it's become increasingly popular for the church to accept ideas of the culture that are unbiblical. And so today we want to look look at the need for discernment sermon and talk about some of the uh, present cultural issues that we are facing. And here to help me do that is Pastor Eric. So thanks for being here, Eric. Glad to have you. Oh, yeah. Um, It's my pleasure. And hopefully we can uh, help people understand what's going on and give them some some key definitions as well as some application to help navigate uh, these crazy, crazy times we're in. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go ahead and jump right in. We have, I think, four questions for today. So our first one, just to kind of start things off, is why is it necessary to have discernment in cultural issues? Yeah, I think one, the Bible tells us to have discernment. And one of the primary reasons uh, that is, is because the world is by nature hostile to Christianity. And you've seen that play out a lot of different ways. You've seen direct hostility. And I I think what we're seeing now is uh, the marriage of indirect hostility with direct hostility, meaning the ideas seem biblical. Um, But when you disagree with the ideas, um, it's very hostile towards you. You know, I think for a while there was this idea that you believe what you believe and I believe what I believe and we can all believe different things. And and now we're in a very uh, hostile time where if you disagree with me, you hate me. And so we need to have discernment that we're not being forced into uh, not just bad ideas, but like things that are not biblical because we're afraid of people hating us and it seems like it agrees with the bible so when you take those two concepts of you don't want hostility you don't want conflict and it seems like it's something the bible teaches you can very easily fall into something that's not biblical and so discernment is even more needed now i think than before because uh it's it's set up to be so hard sure yeah Um, And were there any like passages that you thought of kind of to go along with that question? Uh, Yeah. So when you think of uh, Matthew chapter seven, um, Jesus, they're, they're saying to Jesus, you know, hey, Lord, Lord, you know, I did many signs and wonders in your name. He's like, you know, get away from me. Like I never knew you. And so you can very easily think you're doing things, um, that God wants you to do. And what Jesus is saying is, Hey, just because maybe you, you think you're doing the right thing doesn't mean you're a Christian because your hearts were far from me. Um, because when you look at the Pharisees, they were doing the right things, but he's like, you don't love me, you know, Jesus, the savior, the King, the son of God. And, And the other uh, you look in Matthew 15 is he says, they honor me with their lips, um, but their hearts are far from me. Right. Like, and so he's getting to this idea that 
uh, you can say even the right thing, but it doesn't mean your heart's in the right place. So when when you look at that, Jesus kind of warns against this. And that's why in the, in the epistles, you see Paul talk about uh, discernment. And we'll even get into that in Romans 12, to renew your mind and to, to discern what is the will of God. And so the Bible calls us to that, and it calls us to be sober-minded. And so the reason those are there is because what Jesus is getting at is you can do the right thing but have the wrong heart. Or you can say the right thing and have the wrong heart. And so we want to make sure we match the heart with the intent, with the action and the words. Right? Yeah. So they all line up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think oftentimes we we don't think of things in the world being hostile, like mm-hmm. towards God. But that's how this, the scriptures describe yes. the things that are not of God is that there's no neutrality. It's hostile towards God. Like uh, unbelievers are specifically described as that in uh, Colossians uh, chapter two, I think it is. And we're, we're told over and over again, you know, in our pre Christ nature, we were children of wrath. We were hostile towards God. We were enemies of God. And, and that, that language tells you that's the world. And we used to be like that. And now we've been given the Holy Spirit and a new heart. And, and we live for him and we're his child. And so we're not like that. But, but if you don't have a new nature, it's very much hostile. And so just because it's not advertising its hostility, it is hostile. Yeah, I love that point because oftentimes the... Um when something isn't advertised as hostile is when it's most dangerous yes. because it creeps in subtly. And that's a lot of what we see in the dangers of just the present church, you yes. know, is that the things that are creeping, the ideas and cultural issues that are creeping into the church do not like outright seem wrong, right? Or necessarily Mm -hmm. seem dangerous. They seem like they're for the good of people, right? Yeah. But, but when we really weigh what those ideals of the culture are saying with what scripture is saying, we, we don't see those things lining up. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's really hard because the church has this awkward, um, awkward kind of position they're in where they want to be faithful. They want to be biblical. Um, but people in the world are saying, well, you're angry. You're mean. You're a bigot. Um, you're, you know, you're somehow oppressing me. And so you're looking, well, the Bible says I'm not supposed to do that. Right. And so if I'm doing that with well, them, maybe I, I need to change and do what they're telling me. And so it, it kind of plays your emotions against yourself. And that's why discernment is needed is you don't want to find yourself trying to do the right thing, uh, but actually end up doing the wrong thing. You know, and so that's why I want to take a careful look at some of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into kind of some of those cultural issues that we see. Our next question is, what are some of the cultural issues Christians need to have discernment in? Yeah, so uh, my goal is not to be comprehensive in definition with some of this stuff but more give basic ideas. And, and that's why there's a stack of books over here is to uh, help you understand the concept, see the danger, 
and then kind of have those tentacles of alertness because you're like, oh, I heard that before. And oh, I, I know where that can lead to. So um, I'm going to try to make it easy to understand the concepts of it. So one of them is called, you know, critical race theory. And that's attached to two different other camps that have similar ideas. Um, like if you've heard the term, like you need to be woke, right? And so it's the idea that you need to be awakened or you need to wake up on the current issues that critical race theory is providing, right? And then like intersectionality is a way to categorize how this works. So let's start with um, what do you need to be woke about? Well, critical race theory. Well, what's critical race theory? It's basically taking people into groups and it's dividing them into either you're an oppressor or you're being oppressed, right? And so you see a little bit of this in in Marxism and that started off as um, an economic system, a way to say that there's people who are really rich, right? The bourgeoisie. And then there are people who are uh, really poor, the proletariats, and how can we create um, some equality between the two groups? Well, the problem with, with what you see is the proletariats try to become the bourgeoisie, and it becomes this overthrow of people. Well, then the bourgeoisie become the proletariats, and the revolution starts all over again. So it's an endless cycle of violence. So critical race theory kind of takes that those principles and applies them to culture, not economics, that there's people that are um, culturally rich, right, privileged, and then there's people who are not privileged, oppressed. And so um, people are oppressors by the color of their skin, not necessarily on an action they do, right? And so um, the goal then becomes to give people um, who are being oppressed, the opportunity to have greater insight, greater power uh, in the structure because they're being oppressed. So intersectionality comes in and says, you know, if you're a uh, non-white, uh, you're, you're not uh, heterosexual and you have, let's say, and you're female, That'd be three points of oppression or intersections of oppression. That person should have a greater voice, a greater power, um, because they've been oppressed, right? And so it's becoming awake to those intersections and giving a voice to those people. Now, the problem with that is when you look in the Bible, Jesus didn't come and overthrow the Roman government. He didn't overthrow the oppressors. He actually comes in gentle and lowly, like you see in Isaiah. He comes in as a carpenter, and he comes into uh, as a Jew being oppressed by a Roman government, and he doesn't fix it. He doesn't overthrow it. He doesn't make poor people rich. He forgives sins, right? He, he does heal physically, um, but it, it, the bigger miracle, Jesus says, is the forgiveness of sins. You see the disciples and the apostles in the New Testament, they're not trying to overthrow Caesar, right? They're, 
they're not. And even the disciples are angry at Jesus in the beginning. Like, why aren't we fighting? Why aren't we getting our swords out? And he's like, that's not what I came to do, right? He came to pay for the sins of the people. So you don't see uh, in the scriptures trying to overthrow governments, change this. The reality is that as long as there is sin in the world, there will always be people who abuse power, who are greedy, and who want to hurt people to, to get ahead, regardless of color, regardless of economic status, regardless of it being Marxist or capitalist or socialism, there's always going to be sinners who mistreat people. And there's going to be Christians who mistreat people. And, and so, and, and the Bible gifts us differently. Some people are smarter than others. Some are more artistic. Some are more athletic. And so to try to create a system that creates equal outcomes where we all have the same ability or the same outcome, the Bible doesn't set things up that way, right? It says that we're different and different parts have different work. And you, you look through 1 Corinthians, he's like, you know, there might be a pinky, but the pinky's necessary, right? And, and the eye needs the hand and the hand needs the eye. We're the ones who categorize these things and say, you know, the bicep is, is the best. We all want to be a bicep. And, you know, the, the hand or the thumb or the knee, that's no one wants to be that. No one wants to be the pinky toe. And so that's where we make the bicep the oppressor, right? And, and the pinky the oppressed because it doesn't have the same opportunities and photos and, and to to get work and be praised. And it's like, well, no one says, Hey, look at your pinky. It looks good. It needs the same opportunity. Right? So it's like, they all matter. Right. And they all matter to God and they're equal in value, but they have different functions. And, and so we're to live in that world of impropriety and oppression and, and be lights to people who don't know Jesus. And we're to focus on the forgiveness of sins and repenting and glorifying God, not overthrowing um, government structures and oppression. And so it, it becomes very problematic. And, and the Bible does address race, right? God doesn't need our help. The Bible is very clear. Jesus says, if you hate someone in your heart, you've committed murder, right? That covers all genders, all races, people who are disabled, abled. If you have hate, right, in your heart, it's like, wow, when you apply that, that covers everybody, right? The Bible says in James, we're not to show partiality, right? And, and that's getting into if the rich guy comes in and you treat him well, shame on you. And if you make room for him, but the poor guy, you don't. It's very specific. You love the poor guy. You invite him in the church. You love the rich guy, right? But you don't, you don't punish the rich guy in order to make the poor guy feel like he's, he's more important or he's equally important. Bible, so you got to love both. And you know, we're going to even get into Romans 12. Like you don't repay evil with evil, right? We're to love people regardless of their color, regardless of their giving, regardless of their income, regardless of their gender. And we're to point them to the scriptures. So the scriptures handle this adequately. And I think what people want to do is they want to look at Christianity and say that it's done a poor job. And it has, in certain areas, Christianity has dropped the ball and Christians have dropped the ball. But it doesn't mean that God's word is insufficient. And it doesn't mean that there aren't Christians doing it right. And it doesn't mean that we need a new 
mission on earth that God never calls us to and to get away from sharing the gospel and drawing people towards the glory and the beauty of God. And and that mission is still there. And through a changed heart, that's still the way God has it. And God will make all things right in the end. These sins won't go unpunished. We're not to be the arbiter of justice. God says vengeance is his. So I think that's some, you know, maybe big picture ideas off of it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's great. You you covered a lot in there. And again, the 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 there's so much more we could cover too on that. It's we're summarizing a lot of content yes, yes. that's that's been written um and a lot of content that's been addressed as well. So, but kind of to to summarize a little bit some of the stuff that you're saying, I think with you know, some of the ways that that I look at, you know, critical race theory and wokeness and intersectionality is is really that they have misidentified the problem and they've misidentified the solution. Yes. Right. So within that cultural idea, the, the primary problem is oppression. Right. Right. And so the, and then the, the primary solution is that whoever the oppressed is, you know, that needs to be reconciled, right? They need to be right. put in power, right? Um, and again, as you mentioned, the, the the scriptures don't promise that people won't be oppressed, that people won't yeah. experience oppression, right? Yet they also don't speak to the fact that that's the solution that needs to be solved right. either, as you mentioned that as well. Um, the scriptures very clearly indicate that the primary problem is that you're separated from God and you need to be forgiven of your sins. And if you are not forgiven of your sins and have the righteousness, which God requires, then you will not stand before God and be accepted by him. Yes. That's the primary problem. And the solution has been provided as through Christ as the substitute on our behalf um, on the cross. Right. And I think what's hard about all of this is that what the world wants is reconciliation between from man to man. Right. right? And, And not that that's not necessary, But Ephesians 2, the last part of Ephesians 2 is clear that reconciliation between man and man doesn't happen before reconciliation between God and man. Absolutely. And the reconciliation that happens after that between man and man is only present in the context of the church. What the world, the reconciliation between man and man that the world actually longs for is only possible in the the bride of Christ. Yes. What you hit is very important there. The idea that we can force people to change their heart through uh, a government structure, through an equality structure, right through through economic um, fairness it, it'll never happen the bible is very clear the only if hate is the problem um, reconciliation with god is the starting place right and even there christians struggle with it and they have a new heart and they have the holy spirit um, it, it's it's going to forever plague humanity because we by nature 
want to position ourselves as better than other people and use other people as an excuse for why we're better or they're worse or we deserve and they don't. And God's very clear that we're not to do that. Um, But the starting point is a changed heart that's repented in its sin, been reconciled to God. And I love that you said that, that the Bible is very clear that reconciliation has to start with God first, you know. And so critical race theory then bleeds into our next topic, right? Yeah, so some other kind of cultural issues that, or ideals that are present right now is just kind of more more generic in some sense of just social social justice, uh, but then also ideas of like gender identity and stuff like that. So if you want to speak to those yeah, so as well, social justice kind of falls within the the critical race idea that that we need to make all injustices just, and uh, to to maybe take a bigger picture approach is. You know, we want to divorce the gospel from helping people who are poor or helping people who are in very bad situations. And when we say that you don't see social justice in the Bible, it's not that God doesn't tell us to care about poor people. He just tells us that the greatest way you can care for anyone is to help reconcile them between him and the individual. Now, that doesn't mean we we, we think you shouldn't help people get food and have shelter. Um, but, but think of, you know, some of the more powerful ways you could really help this is adoption, right? If you adopt a kid out of a broken system and you raise them in a Christian home and you teach them God's word and you show them a biblical marriage and you show them biblical parenting and you show them what it's like to be a part of a church for people love and worship Jesus, you know, that's a long-term discipleship like you're really going after it you know so that if you want to talk about doing powerful things i think that's huge you look at the kind of the approach we've seen in africa as we continue to throw money over there as a country not just christians like people and and it's still not better off economically because sin and corruption right are still a part of it and so you're always going to have those problems when you divorce the gospel as a part of the solution that's why when we're looking at impacting the world we want to plant a church right and we want to see um, God's word taught to people who don't know him and so they can learn that they can be reconciled to God through his son Jesus that changes hearts, right? And then if you've changed hearts, and then those changed hearts have the ability to do things in a godly biblical way uh, and impact their communities. And it's a slower approach. I get it. And it doesn't have the instant gratification. But the Bible calls us to reach the nations, teaching all that he commanded, right? To that, that you know, Blessed are the feet, are beautiful are the feet that bring good news. Like we're to bring the good news of Jesus saving sinners to the world. And so you don't ever want to divorce that. So if, you know, and understand there will always be injustice till Jesus comes back. And God doesn't call us to solve that problem, but he does call us to share the good news. Yeah, absolutely. And when we look at, I think there's, just to go off that, there's so many examples of, 
in the scriptures, Jesus going to various places, various towns and, and healing people physically. Um, and there's circumstances in which he goes places and he heals every single person in the town that needed, that needed healing. And there's places where he, goes where there was most likely a lot of people that needed to be healed and yet he only healed one person yeah right and so you see in scripture not that scripture says that physical needs are important but that 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 specifically jesus met those physical needs because there were greater they they then led to greater spiritual needs that were met and and when you look at those those healings it, it leads to people recognizing jesus as savior and as lord right it leads to people trusting in him so it's not that we we don't want to meet physical needs but but that's not the greatest need we meet tangible needs to to then proclaim the gospel yeah. Right. Which is the greatest need. And, you know, at LBC, we, we try to balance that, you know, and one, just a good point. I don't think a lot of people know this, that we do on Tuesday nights, go to the home, homeless shelter. Right. And we, and we do pass out food and we do give gifts and we try to do that. But, um, our primary emphasis is, is sharing the gospel with people who need to know Jesus, because the gr- the greatest thing we can do for them, the greatest way we can love them is to introduce them to Jesus, you know? And so we preach God's word and sometimes we're able to get worship too. And so people can hear Christians singing and loving God and, and what he's done in their life. And so we just don't want to divorce those two. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, we got more topics to get to. Yeah, absolutely. So the kind of the next cultural issue that's that's pretty pretty prevalent right now is just gender identity. So you want to kind of address that issue just a little bit? Yeah. So I've I've learned that there's a lot of confusion here. So I'm I'm going to do my best to give some some easy examples. So hopefully people can get it. And so I think what what you hear people saying is that gender is a social construct, and, and that um, it's not a real thing. And then, you know, and it's my choice, you know, my body, my choice, you know, this whole thing kind of promotes itself and Christians are like, huh? And they get confused. So let's start with the first sentence. Gender is a social construct. So I think there's confusion. A social construct are things that we as people create and we create truth and we construct it. So when you look at stereotypes and we say we have jocks and we have nerds and we have skaters and we have all these different um, types of people, those are labels that as a society we have created. And we say that, you know, you're that label if you dress this way or you talk this way or, you know, you're you're a goody goody. You know, you've heard these terms. Those are social constructs, right? Gender, on the other hand, is something that God has determined um, before eternity, uh, and and it's and it's physical, and and it's something that society didn't come up with. It's something God came up with, and, and right in the very beginning, He created male, and then He in Adam, and He says that Adam creation is good. But all of a sudden, what's not good is that Adam is alone. So he creates a different gender, female, Eve. And so God doesn't create another man. He doesn't create a non-binary, non-gender cis, right? He creates a woman. And so he says there's a man and there's a woman 
and they're complementary. They're equal in value. They're different in function. And so when we try to say that um, gender is something we've created, it's like, no, it's something God created. And he says it in his word. Right. And he gives roles to men and he gives roles to women. And he says, this is how the family structure is set up. And this is how you raise a family. And this is what the man's to do. This is what the woman's to do. So to, to take away gender is to take away uh, what God has a, assigned by birth. And yeah, that does have some biological differences. Um, we didn't construct anatomy. Right. You're born with physical differences. Right. Like women can give birth to children. Men can't. That's a physical difference. And so it's not just the physical differences. It's that God gave different roles and assigned them. So when we say gender is a social construct, you're, you're taking away the fact that God ordained this. This is the system God created. You know, in Romans nine, he's the potter. We're the clay. And he's saying, this is male clay, this is female, right? He gets to decide these things, not us. It existed before us. That distinction existed before language, you you know what I mean? Before we could put labels on it and construct these things. And so uh, to say that identity is just, gender identity is just a social construct, one, it's a lie, but two, it's unbiblical. And it, it takes away God as the author and creator, yeah, exactly. It um it's such a tangible way that the culture is seeking to to act like God. Yes. You know, um that 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 the individual gets to decide gender, which we see that so clearly in scripture, the idea that when you're not in Christ, when you're an unbeliever, you, you yourself seek to act as God, right? You seek to act as your own God, but this specifically with gender identity is a very tangible expression of that because of the way that we see gender being described and created by God himself with purpose in Genesis one. And it's reiterated multiple times in different ways, you know, that, that he created them male and female. And then it says male and female, he created them. Right. And so that's not something that we get to decide, but rather something that being God, part of his role decided and created. Yeah, I think uh, just the last point on that is that um, there's not a problem with God's creation. We're the ones who create these problems. Um, There's a lot of things that were created that we, we can't control. Eye color, hair color, physical ability. We're the ones that say, that somehow um, our strength or our intellect is a problem. God, you know what I mean? God sees value. He chooses to love us. He chooses to adopt us and and say that you're fine that way. We're the ones that go, no, no, no. Um, In order for me to have value or have, I need to be created in this way. I need to be this gender. I need to have these attributes. And then we try to, like what you said, craft ourselves in a way that we think has value. And God's like, I already gave you value. I created you. I made you in my image. Yeah, absolutely. So um, moving forward from some of those kind of ideas in the culture that we need to have discernment about 
how might these cultural issues affect Christians on a daily basis? Yeah. So one of the first things is, is education. And, um, please hear this. I'm not saying kids shouldn't go to public school or I'm just saying one of the, in, in a public school, your kids might be taught this. And, and even in non-public, you know, formats, it's getting put in all kinds of books is that, you know, they're trying to normalize lots of things. So in critical race theory, they're trying to say, Hey, if you're this color, you're racist. Right. And, and here's how you need to work on not being racist. Um, they're trying to say, you know, when a boy likes a boy, this is what we do. And so they're assuming that it's normal or natural for boys to like boys or girls to like girls um, or to be neutral. And so they're just inserting these things into children's stories, children's books, um, when they go over uh, biology and anatomy in schools, they're just trying to normalize it. You know, one of the things uh, I, I came across was that they think part of what is oppressing people. So like you look at uh, homosexuality or people who are gender fluid, that they've become an oppressed category. And the reason they're oppressed is because when we're young, we think that that's not normal. So the way we need to get rid of oppression is to normalize it by disrupting the innocence of children. So literally what they're saying is, you know, four, five, six-year-olds need to see men in high heels with tutus and wigs and lipstick and earrings so that they just grow up thinking that's normal. Well, if you're not paying attention to what's going on, your kid could very easily be 14 and you're like, why are you, do you think that's okay? And it's like, well, it's been going on for 10 years and you've never said anything, you know? And so to, to not catch that young is hard because their goal is to make it so common uh, that a kid doesn't think twice. They're like, that's just the way it is, you know? And so it's important, you know, it's being taught and that you're addressing it and how, and helping your kid understand what's being taught and why. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the others is what were you say? Entertainment. Yeah. Entertainment. Yeah. Entertainment. You can definitely see like, so like you'll see these Disney movies, you know, and all of a sudden you're starting to see uh, characters where it's a boy that likes a boy and it's no longer, you know, a princess and a prince or, you know, however you want to say that. And, you know, we're not even talking about the stereotype that the, the guy comes in and saves the day for the girl or like that's no longer the issue. It's that it's not a guy liking a guy or a girl liking a girl or, uh, um, you know, kind of a gender neutral character. And so all these characters are coming up um, in in entertainment and even, you know, in sitcoms and like you can't get away from it. And and in sports, like it's being talked about every every outlet you can think of. They're trying to normalize that there is no right gender there, that there is oppression and we need to repent of our oppressiveness and we need um, equality and outcomes. And, and they're trying to um, kind of create the narrative on this is why, you know, Christianity is wrong and, and this new way of thinking is right. And here's the problems. Um, and they're not showing all the implications. They're not showing, you know, what are the causes and effects of a kid growing up being raised by two men? What are the causes and effects of, of a kid constantly thinking um, they're racist and they're not, and they're constantly trying to fix it? What's the implications, you know? And that's just 
cause and effect, let alone like who created life and who gets to decide what's right and wrong. You don't address these things. They just push a narrative, call it truth, and then and then beat on you if you don't agree with them. And then it kind of becomes in your brain like, well, if, if I don't agree, I'm going to be a bigot. I'm going to be hateful. I'm judgmental, and, and I better change because I don't want to be called that. You know, subconsciously, you know, all of a sudden become fearful and you're panicked and you're changing because you're trying to overcome the fear and the panic. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so we're seeing more of these, uh, you know, these issues that you probably have, these cultural issues that you may not have even really heard the terms of before yeah. necessarily until now. And so now it's more common to hear some of these terms like critical race theory and yeah. uh, social justice and gender identity, gender fluidity, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, we certainly see those ideas being, uh, being taught to people through various, various avenues that we need to be aware of specifically through education um, and through entertainment and media and stuff like that. And so, um, so yeah, that's why it's necessary for us to understand these concepts ourselves so that when we see them in, you know, education, when we see them in entertainment and media and stuff like that, that we're um, aware of them, that we can address them and that we're uh, taking the things that that we hear and that we're being taught and we can weigh them against what the scripture um, says. And so some some just practical, uh, practical question to kind of close this out is what what are some practical steps that Christians need to take to have discernment about cultural issues? Yeah, so I think the, the, the easiest and most common thing you're going to hear me say is that you have to test it against Scripture. And by that, there's a, there's a lot of things that I think we assume um, is in the Bible because it sounds good um, or it, 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 uh, we've heard it in the Bible, but is it what the Bible completely says, you know? And so the best way to kind of fully understand if that's what God's Word said is that you're teaching it to your children, to yourself, you know, that Deuteronomy six is so important is that it's like, this is an all day process, right? You're teaching it to your kids in the morning, in the afternoon, at night. And, you know, as they rise, you're writing it down on, on your doorposts, like it's everywhere. And it's like, why is that? Because we're constantly going to be distracted to go in the opposite direction. And, you know, heresy and the devil the, you know, the devil doesn't walk around with a pitchfork and horns because if he did, we'd run from him. It'd be really easy. Um, you know, so he's, he's going to try and trick us. That's why, you know, I think it's first Peter. So he's like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. So it's going to play on our emotions, play on our insecurities, play to our pride, play to our ego, um, and play to all these things. And, and the easiest way to do that is to make us think we're doing the work of God, you know? And so the, the primary way to make sure we're doing the work of God is to go to God's word and make sure that we're understanding it so well that we um, understand and can see what's false. My best analogy is like the way they train you in a bank to spot false money is they don't have you study false money as much as they make you study real money so well and so methodically that you can spot a fake. And part of that is in Christianity that you know God so well, his word, his son, um, the purpose of the church, the, the imperatives and commands that we're called to, the attributes of God, that when you see something, you're like, 
that's partially true, right? Because a half truth is a full lie. And that's what you're seeing going on is like, no, that's not the full truth. Uh, this is actually what God's word says. And so, you know, you want to get away from kind of interpreting things like, oh, you know, well, Christians got slavery wrong and they've treated women wrong in the past. And, and so therefore the Bible is wrong about these things. Like, no, there were Christians that oppressed people and had slaves, but that's not all Christians. And that doesn't mean the Bible doesn't speak to it. There are Christians that have mistreated women very poorly. Um, that doesn't mean the way the, bo- the Bible separates the role between a man and a woman is wrong. And it doesn't mean that all Christians treat women that way. You know what I mean? And so to change um, God's word because Christians aren't getting it right is a very poor method of discernment. It's a very poor method of 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 uh teaching and making decisions you know or some people like uh here's you know jesus didn't teach about homosexuality therefore it's okay well jesus teaches in the gospels there's there's a whole lot of more other books right there's 62 other books um but jesus did say that marriage is between a man and a woman you know what i mean that that's example like paul addresses it moses addresses it and paul and moses are both educated guys who wrote lots of books in the bible and so god does address it other places and you know god is love and so that's not loving see that's an example of god does say that but he's also just and holy and wrath and there's lots of other things he says about himself and so you just don't want to take incomplete ideas and just assume that's what the Bible says, half truth. Like, what does it actually say? Go back and do the work and and see what is the Bible actually getting at instead of just kind of like, oh, I think that's in the Bible or, you know, I think that's what's being said or that sounds right or, you know, Christians got it wrong. It's like, no, Christians are going to get a lot of things wrong because they're still sinners. But it never gives us permission to change God, his word and his mission and his structure. Yeah, absolutely. Some of the things kind of that I was hearing you say is just really to take what we're hearing and and make sure that we're we're testing it against scripture and and in order to do that we really need to teach God's word to ourselves. We need to know it um for ourselves. We need to teach it to um our our children um and the people around us. We need to know God's word so well so that we uh know what is false? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think one thing uh, I want to say before we wrap this up is to, to maybe give an example of, of how this all ties together. Um, because these ideas then, they become how we, we bleed things into scripture and interpret scripture. So, you know, you take uh, the passage of in Mark 5 um, of the woman who's hemorrhaging blood. Right. And and she's been bleeding, I think, it's for years. Right. It's in, in Mark five. And essentially she touches Jesus and she's healed. And Jesus makes the comment of, you know, what I felt power go out from me. Like, what was that? And the disciples were like, dude, you're in a crowd. Like, what's going on? And, and so and, and that's basically the passage. And it moves on to someone runs up and it's a short little passage. But what you'll see this is an actual article. It's, it's how um, critical race theory impacts hermeneutics. And so what the, the author is trying to say is that, you know, if, if we take the woman who's disabled, two points of intersection, right? Um, and we look at this passage through her lens, not through, 
in our case, white male lenses, right? Um, or the apostles, you know, Jewish male lens, that what we really see is that um, Jesus is the one who's disabled because he's leaking power, even though the passage doesn't say that, just his power went out from him, right? And, and that Jesus in his disability is identifying with the disabled woman. And so now we've made Jesus disabled because we want to take the standpoint of the person being oppressed in the passage and give them a power to speak into what the scripture is saying. Um, that's what we call standpoint epistemology is that from where I'm standing, my experience, this is the reality of what's happening. And that's very scary because now we've turned Jesus into a disabled guy who's going around doing his best to help people and identify with people in their disability. When the Bible's like, no, like you look Colossians, he's above all things. He created all things in him, through him, by him, for him, all things. Like there's nothing disabled about him at all. And it's not talking about his humanity. She, she's saying he's leaking. He's talking about his divinity. He's leaking his power, like his divinity is disabled. And so when we start saying that we can now use these systems of oppression to read into scripture and reinterpret what Jesus, who Christ is, like that's really problematic. And then you start seeing people going, well, you know, the cross sounds very barbaric, blood shed, you know, God's the father and it's divine child abuse, you know, even though Jesus says he laid down his own life, you know, and all of a sudden we're reinterpreting the, you know, the gospel because we want to look at it through this lens of oppression and pain and, you know, we're Westerners and, and that's Eastern. And it's like, no, the Bible speaks on its own and we need to wrestle with accepting what God has said and trusting him because he's perfect and he's sovereign. Instead of allowing all these new systems being created to reinterpret the Bible because they sound good and it sounds right, but it's simply not what God said. Right. And that's the dangers that we reinterpret Jesus. We reinterpret God and we, and we create a whole new religion in, in the name of love and the name of justice. And that's back to where we started. You know, they, we did many things in his name and he's like, get away from me. I never knew you. You know, you, your lips have, have spoke, but your heart's far from me um, because it wasn't a heart to trust the Lord. It wasn't a heart to repent. It wasn't a heart to glorify God. It was a heart to create God in our image and create the scriptures in our image. Um, and, and thinking somehow we did God a favor or that we're on his mission. And that's my scariest point is that Christians somehow think they're doing the work of God when God never called us to do that work. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you were, were saying to kind of summarize what you're saying is that a lot of these, these, um, ideals from the culture as they bleed into the church, they then lead to reinterpreting yeah. what God's word has said to make it say something that it does not say. Yeah. Um, and so, and so that's the danger because then it changes who God is in his character and in his nature. And the Jesus that it changes is one that cannot save. Right. right. He's insufficient. Yeah. He's just like us in the sense that he's limited, right? He's disabled. Yeah. You know, he he's um, imperfect, you know, and I just don't think people realize that's that's not the savior you want because he can't be a savior at all. Yeah. And that's a really scary thought. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So as we close today, we've talked about a lot of different things, but if people want to do some more research on some of these cultural topics, what would be some rec- recommended resources yeah. uh, for them to read? So here I got a lot of books, you know, um, Owen Strawn, Strawn or Strachan, I say his yeah. name wrong. There's like a Scottish way to say yeah. it, but um, on Christianity and wokeness, fault lines, um, Vody Bauckham, um uh, by what standard? Um, this one is uh, Christianity in a cancel change. culture. Yeah, cancel culture yeah. by Joe Dallas, and so those are just some of them. If you know, you can look through those uh, and see. Uh, just just thinking uh, is in there. Kind of goes more through the political aspects of this. So those are some books here um, that have been helpful, um, and I and I say helpful because they help you understand the agenda. They help you understand. Um, the incompatibility of scripture. Um, they help you see where uh, these are contradictory ideas that, that um, are hypocritical and, and you know, um, but trying to be like, not be racist, you end up being racist. You, you actually are not focusing on the content and character of people. You're actually focusing on skin color. You know, so it walks you through some of those things. Um, um, but again, your Bible is your best friend, yeah. you know, but these books help you understand what's going on, where they're misinterpreting scripture, where they're taking things out of context and kind of help you see the whole picture of what's going on. Great. Yeah. So hopefully you can see some of these books right here. Um, you can pause your screen and hopefully see some of them, but we've mentioned some of them. And if you uh, share this podcast with three people, you will uh, enter for a chance to win this entire stack of books. So make sure you share this podcast with three people and you could potentially get all of these books that we've recommended for free and not have to pay for them. Uh, and then you could read them. So thanks for being here, Eric. It was good to have you. Yeah, it was uh, my pleasure. I hope uh, it was helpful. I hope we didn't get too far in the weeds. Uh, My goal is just to give an overview and help people maybe hear some words, see why it's dangerous and see potentially how it could hurt. And then uh, maybe just kind of see from a little bit from scripture how this is problematic and maybe get some tools to help navigate these uh, tricky, tricky waters. Yeah. You've been listening to the LBC podcast, a podcast of Laurel Glen Bible Church in Bakersfield, California. Thank you for listening. We uh, hope that you uh, subscribe and share this podcast. Uh, God bless you. We will see you next time.